Hello and welcome to another edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. Today we're talking about another film by Pere Portabella, which is on movie, and this is called Umbracle. Umbracle, I think. Umbracle, That's sorry. That's the way you would I pronounce think, yeah, it. Yeah. So this is chronologically the third of his films that's on movie. We've previously discussed briefly Vampire, which was the, an early one, but closely related to this one. So maybe we'll talk about that a bit as well tonight. Um, so, so Jose, do you want to tell us about the film? Well, let's 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 talk let's talk about Vampire to begin with because this is clearly something that develops from that or unravels from that. The the Portavella Vampire film is so interesting because it's basically made on the back of Jesus Franco's film of Conde Dracula Dracula for Hammer films, right? It's it's kind of like a making of, but like no making of you've ever heard of, in the sense that it's a completely separate entity, you know, but it is using actors, uh, locations, uh, special effects. And clearly from that film, Christopher Lee is still in Spain and contributing to this other experimental avant-garde film that is Umbracle. And I looked up what Umbracle meant because I thought it was just some Catalan thing. But actually, it's not. It's, <laughs> a, you know, it's a word uh, that means shade created by twigs or pieces of wood. Right. So I suppose what you could see through a kind of bird's nest or something like that. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because it did make more sense of the film to me. Yeah. Uh, though, actually, I think one of the things that I want to uh, state to our listeners is that I love these films, that actually the non-linearity of them uh, doesn't matter to me. The fact that I can't get to, you know, an iron grip on exactly what it means or what it's saying doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, and it would with other films of this kind. I mean, I am not normally a natural fan of this uh, of, of experimental cinema. Uh, you know, I learned to value quite a bit of it, but it's not, you know, my the, my natural uh, comfort zone. Uh, but this one, I really love his work, right? It has kind of uh, a sensuality and an aesthetic and a kind of a, 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 a mystery that raises questions rather than just something that doesn't make sense. I don't know if you mean, yeah, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, what did you think? I liked it more than um, Nocturne 29 that we, we saw recently. It, it's a collage of images and, and, and archive footage. There is no plot, there is, but there is a theme to it. And, I, and I, I, I could sort of sense that more than I could with Nocturne 29, the kind of political theme to it, because it sort of starts off with these images of Christopher Lee just looking really cool, wandering around Barcelona and then he sees a kidnapping and, and see, you know, various things happen. But then uh, after a while, it cuts to this lengthy sequence where uh, two people, and I don't know who they are, are talking about the, the laws on film censorship in, in, in Franco, Spain. I'm not going to tell you who they are because actually I don't know myself. But just yeah. to say that there are three people. Yeah, so there is someone explaining the censorship law yeah, then a Catalan person talks about, you know, the impossibility of, uh, of filming reality in Spain. Uh, and then a third one talks about, 
you know, the opportunities that a parallel or an experimental or an underground cinema uh, can uh, create, even if it is, you know, to a very minority or hidden audience. First, it goes through these images and themes that you're not allowed to cover, like, you know, religion, politics and cruelty and, and so on and so on. Then talks about the fact that even a an accumulation of images that that's can gathered together could be taken in that way even if the individual images don't express those things is also forbidden it then shows like a quite a lengthy excerpt from a pro franco 1950s film the title of which i, I can't remember sort of showing all these things that you're not allowed to show <laughs> yes it's called infantry front i think or Oh no, Infinite Front, and it's by uh, Pedro Lazaga. It's a film from 1959, and it's about a priest in the Spanish Civil War. And the excerpt that we see is a priest losing his faith, you know, but nonetheless conducting a mass uh, and that moment of communion, of transference, uh, in the midst of a bombshell where all the other soldiers disperse, but he remains there with faith in his God. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the imagery is extraordinary because, you know, you see images of the cross with the gun. So either the cross in the service of the gun or the gun in the service of the cross, which kind of illustrates what those censorship norms are in a way trying to protect. I mean, this was like, you know, an ideal Frankist film. Yeah, with like God and the military, yeah, in the service of the regime and this ideology uh, and a particular side of, you know, the winners of the Spanish Civil War. I was very kind of interested by this because, you know, if um, if you take the title, uh, a shade provided by woven twigs and branches, it's also uh, a space uh, that is home to numerous sculptures surrounded by nature in Valencia. It's in the city of arts and sciences. But, you know, the word itself is a shade provided by woven twigs and branches. And in that sense, what does the film offer us as that shade? Yeah. You know, what are those twigs and branches? What is that shade? Is that shade something that uh, protects you from the sun? Yeah. Or is it something that hides, right? Uh, or is it both? And I thought the film was, was to me very fascinating because you have these glimpses, like you said at the beginning of the film, right? You are in a, a, a museum of natural sciences, but all you're seeing is taxidermists, stuffed animals behind glass, right? Uh, in this empty place. Uh, I think there's only the Christopher Lee character and another character. You see um, a woman, you see images of a guy kind of quietly harassing this woman on a train. You get the sense that she clearly wants to read the newspaper and his gaze is unwavering on her in a way that feels quite aggressive. Uh, you then have uh, Christopher Lee performing and singing in German and French and then kind of reciting an Edgar Allan Poe poem, you have the discussion on censorship, and then you have a really long clip of what you were allowed to see. Alongside that, you have excerpts of uh, uh, Lauren Hardy's The Piano Movers, 
which is my favorite Lauren Hardy film. I really like that sequence where, because essentially the way it's cut together, it's sort of Christopher Lee wandering around Barcelona and he just kind of looks in a certain direction and you get a clip from from Laurel and Hardy and then another direction you get a clip from from Charlie Chaplin it's kind of it's kind of like this stuff is just happening in front of him yes and we get all the grades so we have excerpts from Laurel and Hardy from Chaplin from Harold Lloyd from Buster Keaton so and then we also have some circus footage right so all of these things like what are they providing kind of laughter and joy and yeah uh, in in these dark times, yeah, or are they obscuring the darkness of the times themselves? And and there's also that lengthy sequence of um, in the in the, I guess a chicken chicken yes. factory, where, which I mean, I, I, obviously we had that lengthy discussion last week about uh, animal cruelty on film, and here, but here I mean, this this is you know he's filming something that that was happening, you know, he's he's he's, he's filming. Yeah. yeah, he's filming factory farming and, and all, all these chickens being slaughtered. Um, and but but it, then it, it only occurred to me talking just now that that kind of links back to all the the kind of stuffed birds in the um, in the in the museum, and mm-hmm. but also to the fact that you you know you're not allowed to, you know, the, the, one of the censorship rules is you're not allowed to show cruelty to human to people or animals. Um, and but then he's, well, he's presumably saying, well, look, this is this is happening right in front of you. I mean, this is a bit gruesome to see. But I'm not sure it would be considered cruelty to animals. Yeah, I mean, what you see is, you know, a factory uh, uh, killing and plucking hens. Yeah, and then showing the process, right? Like from beginning to end, it's a killing of animals. But but I don't think you're seeing any any cruelty. I, uh, and in fact, I, the film is condemning that mechanization, uh, you know, because the song that it's played over is mm. the carpenters close to you? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was fabulous, you know, to have that song over those images. There's several um, pop tunes, but they're all kind of cheesy cover versions of, of the. Yeah, they are. I don't, who, I don't know who they're by. There's that. There's Harper Valley PTA at the end, and, and uh, um, yeah, I can't remember what the other one is. Wonderful. I think I think those are probably for rights reasons. Yeah. I also found very fascinating the bit with the telephone. A lady reaches out for the telephone, begins to dial, and then it starts all over again, then starts all over again. And then, yeah, she could never complete the call. She could never get the communication. A kind of, you know, an interesting element in this film. Yeah, because so much of it is about art and communication and maybe the joy that it brings in a place where, you know, things are like uh, in in gelatin that haven't changed. They're like, you know, taxidermist dummies, you know, but, you know, people are being kidnapped and arrested. Yeah, probably, you know, unlawfully on the streets. And yeah, so you, the film begins to build through these fragments a kind of feeling and a kind of picture, yeah, uh, that I thought, uh, you know, was, was, was rather marvellous. I found with this one, more so than Not Turn 29, that... You know, I'm not quite sure what he was getting at, but I think I can kind of get towards what he was getting at. Um, I think, and I think because that section in the middle with the the kind of about censorship really does, you know, set, sets sets a good bit of context. I think. And then the uh, contrast with the film or the excerpt, there are several things really. So in terms of art, you see what's forbidden, you see what the regime supports. 
you see the clowns, which are obviously meant to be a popular entertainment, yeah, of and for the people. You see the silent film comedians, which are of another time and of another place, yeah, and thus are allowed in, but nonetheless very subversive in what they're mm. funny about. And also I was very fascinated by the film's use of sound. I was reading this article uh, by Steve Marsh uh, on Pere Portavella, and he was saying that one of the things about the use of sound is that there's a kind of uh, humming that begins uh, in the soundtrack in the museum, yeah, when they're watching the stuffed birds, when Christopher Lee's uh, looking at the stuffed birds. And that kind of background humming, yeah, recurs constantly until the moment where Christopher Lee kills the fly. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then it stops, <laughs> right? Uh, which I thought was fascinating, even if only as a way of indicating how worked through, yeah, mm. the soundtrack is. You know, because the soundtrack is composed of Foley sounds, of sounds taken from elsewhere and kind of, you know, added to the soundtrack that nonetheless kind of create a pattern and signify and, and signify in relation to the to the music. There are large chunks of silence. You know, there's also direct sound. Uh, there's, you know, live singing, like with, the, with Christopher Lee. There's excerpts of opera. Right. And then there's like all the American pop songs that we also hear. Yeah. Woven through in a kind of an intricate structure. What do you have to say about the use of Christopher Lee? I mean, he wasn't actually a huge international star at this point. He only started doing American films, I think, in about 76, 77. So he was doing the Hammer stuff um, and sort of European horror films. Um, he was obviously a name, but he just when you look at his credits, I mean, he's, he, he just made so many films in that period. You know, some of them stand out, you know, these the stand out for an interesting reason. He made, I think, The Wicker Man was two years later. Um, Deathline, which is which is fantastic, was, was, was the following year's kind of British horror film, um, Zombies on the Underground. I kind of get the impression that he just would say yes to anything i mean he accidentally made a soft porn film at one point for instance um eugenie the story of her journey into perversion uh, another hazes franco film so he 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 made this film he filmed his bits in a few days and he said i was just sitting in the chair talking and all these people behind me and they were all wearing clothes it was all perfectly normal and then he two, two years later in london somebody said if you oh so there's, a, there's one of your films is on a is on in a porn cinema <laughs> what and so he, he went to see it and, and basically he says you know as, as soon as he left and flew home everyone took their clothes off and filmed the rest of the film and it's like yeah i don't i don't believe that for a minute you know you know what you're making um whether he he did these two films because he you know he liked experimental films and he liked pedipot bay or whether whether he he just had a couple of days free and was offered a few few hundred quid to do it. I don't know. I thought what was interesting for me seeing him in this was uh, to remind myself, in a way, of how handsome he was. Yeah, mm. Because, you know, he is extraordinarily handsome. Uh, and also, you know, he's so tall, uh, which becomes very apparent in this film because all the Spanish people around him are like a foot and a half shorter, right? like, yeah. or most yeah. of them anyway, right? Um, but also, it made me understand why he was never a big international star, 
Mm. You know, there's a reason why people do Hammer films, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, they didn't have the big international stars. So he was a big name within a ma- what was then a minor branch. Yeah, a minor yeah, genre, yeah. right? Uh, and actually, the film also made me understand it because he's, he's a wonderful actor, but there is something kind of smug and... Um, I don't know, a bit closed off. He's not open. And actually, he's he's very handsome, but he's not quite sexy. There's some, yeah, there's something about him, you know, that kind of prevents that. And I thought, well, this is why, you know, someone as skilled as he is and as good looking as he is, nonetheless, never made it to, you know, like... Paul Newman or Robert Redford mm, or a lady mm. type of stardom, right? Uh, and I think the film makes that closed-offness, that smugness. You know, there is something about him singing in German and the French, and you know that he seems really self-satisfied with his own linguistic skills. Right? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's possibly an element of that him being that sort of actor who's just in a very, you know, he's making very popular, but but low budgets. Oh, well, I'll get in trouble with Hammer fans for saying they they have few artistic merits, but they yeah they're not great films. Um, they're, yeah, it's popular cinema, um, but he really wants to be taken seriously seriously as an actor. I'll be in your film, but can I recite some poetry? Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, oh my God! And when he recites that Pope uh, poem, you know when he gets to the last lines and he lets out all the stops, right? And yeah. it becomes like really actor. You can you can tell, you know, I should be doing Hamlet instead of Hammer, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, quite a common theme with that sort of acting with him and you know, Peter Cushing and people like that. And it also, I've just remembered there, was, there used to be a running gag on um, uh, the Morkman Wise show, which is a British comedy show in the 70s. Um, they'd always have celebrity guests and P- Peter Cushing would quite regularly turn up and the, the running joke was he'd always be asking about have you got could I have my fee because he's like he <laughs> wanted, wanted to be paid in advance because he hadn't been paid for his previous appearance and this kind of thing <laughs> and you sort of imagine you know Christopher Lee turning up to this oh, well, yeah but can you give me my fee for vampire please <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe being anyway. slightly unfair but but it, yeah, he, he's you know it, it works really well in that, and actually it's sort of but in both this and Vampire, it, it does work. Having this sort of iconic figure just turning oh, up in an art film is, is really interesting. I mean, he's very good and he's very well used. Mm. You know, this is like a side observation rather than an evaluation of mm. what he brings to, to the piece, uh, which I think is wonderful. And I, I, I'm really uh, enthralled by these films, actually. Uh, and I also, I suppose, you know, like they're very beautiful they're really skilled, you know. This one and Quasi Cook Vampire are also like meta cinema. They are about cinema, which I find fascinating. And they're very political films. I, I was reading again in that Stephen Marsh piece that uh, this, the year this film was made, he was meant to go to New York for the premiere of Quasi Cook Vampire, and. Uh, the government uh, uh, withdrew his passport, yeah, so he couldn't travel abroad, right? So in a way, he became kind of like a political prisoner, yeah, like in his own country. He didn't have the right to travel. And this is like just a few years before the transition where he actually went into politics proper, and I think he might have been already involved in politics proper at this period, you know, within all that dream quality and logic and... You know, this is very, very much a political film. 
that I urge people to see. It's on movie. Watching those first three, actually, they all add to the enjoyment of the others, I think, because you, you, yeah. you start to understand what he's getting at. If you're only going to watch one, watch watch Vampire, because I, I think beautiful. that's... Yeah, yeah. You know, both of these films are in movie, and I would urge our listeners, you know, to have a look at them. They are really worth uh, worth your time. And they're they're not quite like the experimental or avant-garde cinema you might be familiar with. You know, this is this this is somehow more understandable and i think the reason why it's it's more understandable is because it's fragments that add up yeah mm. and they're very very beautiful to look at well thank you very much for listening we are thinking aloud about film bye, bye. bye.